All right, everyone. Good job. Who's chatter? Why do I hear chatter? Is that the lowing that I hear? It's good. What does this This is the first Shabbat in 5775 as we are doing Parashat Ha'azinu. So a couple of uh, administrative notes before my righteous son-in-law comes up to leave you in our discussion. First, how cool is it that Joe and Karen Gordon are here? I think it's pretty cool. Amen. And children. And children. I had the privilege of having most of my lunch with Joe Gordon, and I got to tell you, he is a righteous man. Amen. I love spending time with him. You'll have that opportunity, and we will get an opportunity to elevate and honor him as well. Um, he may say, unfortunately, we would say, fortunately, as the eldest man in our community, all with gray hair as well. So, um, on Simchat Torah, that will be at the end of Shemini Atzeret, here at the residence, we will uh, begin with a little bit of liturgy, a little bit of song and dance, and then... We'll have the youngest young man who can read the Torah, which for the past several years has been Micah Martin. Sarai's on the way. Sarai's on the way. Sarai's on the way. We got it. Is it only men? Is it only men? Ask the woman with only women. Um, we have made exceptions for the women to read. Don't have a problem with that. Sophia has some words in the first verse. So, it looks like next year there may be some competition for Micah. Well, Micah, last year, read not only the, the entire first chapter of Bereshit, but he began astonishing all of us with the first verse in Hebrew. And how many of you who were here last year actually thought he was going to try and do the entire chapter? <laughs> I, everybody was like, holy crap, I can't do that. <laughs> He was just, yeah, he was right on the money. Now, this year I understand he's going to do the first verse in Hebrew and then in Korean and then move on for the, and he's going to do the rest of it in French. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen there, but we're excited. You want to be there. You want to be there for that. Now, we have the youngest young man read the beginning of the Reshit. And then all of us get together, having chosen our little snippets of paper, and we read the entire Torah out loud. And if all of you are there this year, it will take about 27 minutes. But all of you aren't going to come for whatever reason. Couldn't catch a cab. Couldn't get a babysitter. Didn't know what to wear. It's going to be 45 minutes. So it's going to take 45 minutes to an hour. For the faithful that show. What do you have for the faith. oldest woman? Mm. We, oh, have, oh, oh, we have a bottle of wine. <laughs> <laughs> at the end, 
after the entire Torah has been read out loud in your hearing. And I got to tell you, sometimes it's cacophony. It's awesome. But there's an awesomeness. I mean, we had a bat mitzvah last year, and a godly woman entered our congregation. And I just can't wait this year. As I'm sitting way over here, and I just got to take a break because I've just been reading and reading and reading. Let's take a little break, take a little sip of my water, and look across the room at Andrea Upham. And I'm going to hear her voice through the room as she reads about Abraham crossing over and becoming the first Hebrew. And I'm going to start to cry. And it's going to delay the entire night. We're going to go on without you. That's right. <laughs> when we're all done and the entire Torah has been read out loud, there'll be one chapter that hasn't been read. And at that point, we will stand, as we did this morning, to honor the Torah scholar Rick Spurlock during the Shabbat Shuva liturgy. We will stand to honor this gray headed wise man as Joe reads the last chapter of Genesis. Then we'll all read the first chapter of Genesis all over again out loud together. And then the fun begins, which is when most everybody goes home. But if you stay and have a little bit of wine, you'll actually watch Rick like grab the Torah, lift it up, and just start dancing around. And all of a sudden, we're all dancing with It's a wonderful time, and I want to encourage you to come, even if you have kids. I thought it was like a mighty rushing wind sound. That's right. <laughs> we actually re-rolled the turret. If you were here this morning, you see that it's really lopsided with everything over on the right spindle. So we're going to be rolling it back. And the young men from the Zadi class normally do that uh, to the tunes of... Uh, Rahad. It's Rahad. Who's it? Schlock Rock. It's not Schlock Rock. It's not Schlock Rock, but it's like Schlock Rock. Zealot Sounds. Zealot Sounds as they take some of the old songs that uh, we grew up with and repurpose them for religious purposes. Not everyone. I was looking at Marianne when I said that. So. My wife, of course, is much younger than me. All right, so that's Simcha Torah coming up. But before that happens, we have next Shabbat. Next Shabbat is Yom HaKippurim. It's the Day of Atonement. And we'll begin here on Erev Yom Kippur, starting at 7 o'clock. I'm hoping that uh, Mr. Upham and Mr. Spurlock will sit at the front with me, dressed in our kittles trying to sport some svelte bellies. And we will represent for you a visual expression of the big dean or the heavenly court. So that as we go through the liturgy, you'll sense this whole concept of judgment and standing before the judge of all the earth. It's really quite, quite a time. Um, at uh, lunch here at Oneg, I had an opportunity to speak with some of the young men who are going to step up and help with the liturgy for that. Um, unless somebody's got anything new, we're probably going to listen to Marty Getz sing the Kol Nidre liturgy three times. Uh, it's fairly short, but it gets louder and louder as we go through. 
Uh, and then we go to the liturgy from our Maxorim. So I want to encourage you to come to that. As I said this morning, we're going to end that with more joy than we normally do and, and uh, some happiness that God has accepted our prayers and has provided forgiveness to us through Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Then the very next day, while you're fasting for 25 hours without food or drink, and it's getting long and you wonder, what am I supposed to do during all this time? Well, you're supposed to pray. And you're supposed to pray with us. So you have many venues where you can get together. You can begin your morning in prayer and then quickly head over to the young our house Spurlock residence in the morning. And at 10 o'clock, oh, there you are. Um, at 10 o'clock, we'll have Shakarit service there. And um, Joshua does a magnificent job of uh, making that liturgy come to life. And you'll appreciate all of, of what we see in Messiah. Then a little break. They'll do a little Oneg deal somewhere that may be in your car. Well, it may be smiling. Well, it may be an Oneg time, but I didn't say there would be any food. But it <laughs> you know not of. That's right, that's right. I know not about food you know not of. That's right. So we're going to try and pray as long as we can. That middle time may be an option if anyone wants to pray when you saw. Okay, so if you want to pray Musaf prayers, parking lot, Kmart, Walmart, any of those places really work. Or, or you can show up early. Or you can stay late. You can stay late at the Spurlocks or, or show up but early. Or like amongst yourselves or the split group, because that'd be a shame. Yeah. So we'll figure out what we're doing. Are we going to do Musaf? Are we going to take a little nap? Nap on the on the couch at the Spurlocks? You can show up at the Bartos early. Chris, they're partying with the kids. Musaf, but they are going to be doing the makeup prayers. After the makeup prayers, relax, have some time, fellowship, prayer, retrospection, etc. And then we'll meet here at the residence for an Uh 7 7 7 Can't be 7. It's at 7. It can't be 7. We've got a hall right through. Yeah, that makes sense. That must be like 6 or 8 or something. Is it 7? Yeah. It's a very short service, isn't it? Yeah, it is. In the fast sense, it's 7.49. It's like basically... Okay, so we're going to meet here at... You want to check the meetup for this in case I'm mistaken, but you want to. It looks like you'll be coming to the residence back here on Yom Kippur Day at 7 p.m. But you want to be on time. So you right. probably get here at 6:30. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to start arriving praying. early since Very nobody's important. doing anything but not eating, right? <laughs> so show up early. And we'll get all set up for prayers to start at 7. When those prayers end. There's a cattle thing that going into there <laughs> to get the food. So you want to show up with your own egg dish and, drink. and your drink and show up. We'll pray, and the Nela prayers are amazing. Uh, one other thing, uh, if you, you know, in between the uh, voluminous amount Prayer of prayers that we will be reciting, it's also uh, tradition to study the book of Yonah, Yonah. Jonah mm-hmm. on Yom Kippur, because the, th- the whole theme of Yonah is repentance and judgment, mm-hmm. and of course, it's replete with allusions to Messiah. New resurrection. Well. Amen. Yes. Yeah. 
So hopefully we'll have some Torah luminaries available to you, for you to be able to study that with them at the various venues, okay? So you don't need to stay home and say, well, yeah, I want to pray because I want to study Jonah. Okay, we'll come and pray and then study Jonah. We should also just clarify that um, if you have any type of medical condition, please eat. Do not. It's actually a mitzvah yes. for you to eat if you have any type of condition. Nobody's going to go, oh, you ate? Come on. You know, what's wrong with you? That's, that's not what we're doing. Right? Children are supposed to eat. Pregnant women are supposed to eat. You know, if you're on medication and stuff like that, just eat. Don't worry about that. That's not the issue. Now, eating in front of the rest of us, that's just cruel. So get in the car. Okay? Get a room. So, <laughs> man, a few words before they come out for it. Oh, yeah. All right. So, so the Nalah prayers last year is the first year we did the Nalah prayers, and those are the prayers that lead up to the break of the fast. And I got to tell you, I was telling the young men at uh, at Oneg today, I, it was the most incredible experience I have. I think I've had, in, not only in my Torah walk, but maybe in my walk with Messiah. I just to feel everyone, because I, I was uh, doing a lot of the causing in the front there, but to, to feel the energy of everyone beseeching God for forgiveness. And I mean, it was just extraordinary. I was overwhelmed with your intensity and with your prayers. So I want to encourage you to come for that. Come early, be ready. We're going to pray, and it will change your life. Just a couple of other, for those who, I think most of us already know this, but just in case there's some that don't. And for those who are watching by way of video. So traditionally on Yom Kippur, you will wear all white. Uh, you will not wear jewelry. And leather. And you will not wear leather. Women will typically not have lots of makeup on. You know, it's time to humble ourselves. Um, and uh, now, ladies, if you look scary without mascara, that's okay. Put mascara on, okay? But yeah, we're just gonna lighten that up. Men are not allowed to do that. Men, if you feel that you look scary with mascara, we agree. Leave it at home. Holy cow! Yeah. So yeah, it's you know, so you don't feel out of place. Now, you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. Some guys going to show up with mascara. Some guys. Gonna show up. <laughs> Worse than that. Worse than that. Somebody's going to stay home because they don't have anything white to wear. Don't do that. Just come. If you got a white shirt, wear a white shirt. If you don't have a white shirt, don't. Don't worry about it. I don't have any shoes that aren't leather. Just come. Flip flops. Just come. <laughs> flip flops are big. They are Yom Kippur. I came barefoot the first time. Right? He did. He came socks. barefoot. He really did. Yeah. So wear socks. Whatever. Okay. The bottom line is, it's tradition to remind us of some truths of the Scripture. But this is a day of humbling. This is a day where we're making peace. So, hey, there should be no reason why you wouldn't come. I don't have a ride. Come on, pick up the phone, right? Yeah. Now, I want to thank all the people that have been helping Ryan get here. Because Ryan, for some reason, won't drive himself. I don't get it. I, don't, I, don't get it. I actually put a handgun in his hand. Come on. His car is in the shop. 
No, cars in the shop. So trying to call and nobody. Yes. Oh, it's Ryan. Bottom line: If there's any reason why you want to make it to prayers and can't, I want to volunteer. Two hundred sixty-one hundred. Two hundred sixty-one hundred. Just call me. I'll figure it out. Prayers may start late because you and I are driving here. But I believe that we have demonstrated over the years now true community. There's nobody in this community. Nobody wants to drive everybody everywhere all the time. Nobody wants to do that. But I'll tell you what, for these prayers, this guy lives in Mooresville, and I'm just going to put him on the spot. And I'll bet you he'll drive all the way down to Rock Hill to get you and bring you here. <laughs> now, his wife is like, how are we going to manage <laughs> But this is the kind of love that he has, and I believe every other man in this group has for everybody else. But then you remind her that she drives a Honda Civic. That's so, I want I want to make sure you you recognize we want everybody here. Okay. All right. So that's the Nela prayers. Those will start at seven, and when they end, we eat. Okay. And we will. We take long enough to get there. Because really, you're gonna eat. Trust me. When we <laughs> those prayers will end when the sun has set. Trust me. We will. It'll work out right. Okay? So everybody got the, the calendar all set? Is everybody good with that? Okay. Is there anything else? Am I missing anything? I'm still working out the logistics of making sure that Gabby's here. And it looks like I'll have to do a lot of out-of-the-way things not on Yom Kippur just to make it happen because of all the other stuff. But it is my strong prayer and Stubborn wish to have her there this year. All right. Yes, ma'am. Uh, to make everyone's Sunday even more exciting, tomorrow is in fact a fast. That's tomorrow right. is a fast yeah. day. Thank you. Tomorrow is a fast of Gedalia. It's a daylight fast. It is sun up to sundown. Eat early, eat late, carry a weapon. <laughs> and then the following Sunday, for those who arrived late, following Sunday is going to be a women's gathering, like a, kind of like a study class, but not. We're going to do like kind of practical stuff for this one um, at Morgan Barclays house. Please come, please come, please come out here with everybody. I want to learn. 10.30 a.m. on a Sunday. Come, show up. Does the women's group have, like, a name? No. no. But the women's they're going to come up with a name. It's not sister. No. It's not sister. You know what we do in the, in the Baptist church, right? We talk about the brotherhood. Bum. So it's not the sister. Okay. the Lombats. Only a guy would come up with a name. Okay. Yes. It's just so I know, I know, it's just so much I know, it's so much fun to be here. I know. So the last night for the counter, thank you for that. That is a week from tomorrow. At 
at Morgan and Gregory Bartos's house. Women only, men who want to crash the party, come here instead. Fathers, babysit your kids. Fa fathers, <laughs> babysit. That's right. That's right. And we're looking to see your wife there. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah. So we get that clear. All right. Stand the gun. Oh, and feel free to bring girls, like daughters. Oh, yeah. Daughters. They don't have to be able to walk or speak. Greg will actually be out in the backyard building our super if any men want to come. Okay, so if you want questions about what, who, and when to bring and all that, just see them after class. That's great. There is one other, one other calendar opportunity for you, and it's after the High Holy Days. The High Holy Days go from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, the 10 days, right? The 10 days of awe. These are the high holy days. After that, we have the days of our joy in Sukkot. Okay? So Sukkot, we are not doing the soup and sukkah party in order that all of you may step up and invite my wife and I to your Sukkot. <laughs> That's really what it is. And you did, yes. So... So let's do that. We're, we're trying to really foster the whole community thing and build your crummy little sukkah, build your great sukkah, build your awesome sukkah. It doesn't matter. you got a sukkah. Even if it's a little tent, I can't wait to come and have a glass of wine in your sukkah. And if you're a teetotaler, I'll take care of that myself. Don't worry about it. That's Sukkot. After Sukkot, on the third Shabbat. Third. Now, we normally don't meet on this third, right? Second and fourth Shabbat. On the third Shabbat in October... That would be the 18th at 10 o'clock. 10:18. At 10 o'clock, we will have shakarit services at Lynn Bowen's house, and we will be going there so that we can honor and accept the young man in the back as a bar mitzvah. <laughs> Joshua Jordan will be joining the ranks of the men and be counted in the minion from that day forward. So you'll hear him get called to the Torah for the very first time. That's pretty swanky. That is on the meetup. You're going to want to make sure that you RSVP with the appropriate people so that we can help Lynn with cheers and all the stuff that goes along with that. Okay? Are there any questions on... Any of the calendar things. We've run out of time for any portion discussion, but <laughs> God bless you all. No, it's the shortest portion. That's right. Here. Yeah. We got one chapter. Anything else? We good? This is the 53rd portion of the year out of 54. The 54th is never read in a Shabbat service. So we had the last one. If you're using Brock Wright's app, you know that we're moving to Bereshit very quickly. In fact, you're already there in his app. If you're, if you're using Rick's, you're not quite there yet, but you will be there very quickly. So our idea here is that we began a year ago in reading the Torah through, and now we've come right near the end. We'll read the rest at the very end of it, Simchat Torah, Let's let's find out about Ha'azinu as we give ear 
to Joshua Spurlock. Joshua. And as always, if my illustrious father-in-law happens to have his hand raised and have my back to him, please, someone, you know. It's, I think it's a mitzvah to sit behind Because <laughs> it gives everybody else the opportunity to hear Exactly. So yes, we are to ha'azinu, um, give ear, which is kind of a different way of saying listen. Um, traditionally, here in Shema, we know that one. This one is literally give ear. Um, the word uh, ozen, uh, oznaim, is ears. Uh, if you are a Hebrew person, you might recognize that with um, porim. Hey, porim, we have um, oznei haman, or hamantashen, Haman's ears, in Hebrew. Just kind of weird and gross, but funny, and nonetheless. Yeah, and very tasty. Um, so yes, we are starting up Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're at the very beginning. Um, cool teaching this week from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. If you read Chabad.org, you may have seen his little commentary on this portion. Um, he starts off by talking about, may the earth hear the words of my mouth, my teaching drop like the rain, my utterance flow like the dew. And there, his commentary there is saying that, thank you, Colby, um, that the... Uh, Torah is like rain and the way that it falls, and particularly that it impacts different things differently. Rain, when it, rain is rain, right? Rain is always the same. But when it falls on uh, fruit trees, they grow fruit. When it falls on corn, they grow corn. When it falls on grass, it goes grass, and so on and so forth. Some, some things soak it up, some things you know, kind of dispel it, whatever the case may be, but um, the rain has an imp- a varying impact. And they were talking about how in, Ju- in Judaism they see Israel as, like, you know, uh, the example they used was e pluribus unum in reverse. You know, out of the many, one, that's, the, that's what's on our money. And in, in, the, in the Hebrew concept, it's almost more like out of the many, one. Out of uh, one many, one. out of one many. So the unity of Israel is complete. They're, they're one. But there's a diversity there that's really healthy and it's good mm-hmm. to, the, to the point where, like, each person has a role and a place in um, expressing the Torah and, and in finding truths within the Torah. Um, they say that there are unbelievable numbers of, of truth layers in the Torah. And if you've been reading this, this portions with us for years now, you know that. Every year you find something new. And they say that without the diversity of the people, you would never be able to find all of the truth in the Torah. Amen. So there is a benefit for doing things just like this but we've got a diversity of people, um, and I hope that a number of you, who, some of you who don't normally say things, would feel the courage to speak up, because we want to hear, what, do you, what is God teaching you? What are you pulling out? Um, and that's a really cool blessing. It's neat to see how God um, uses us collectively as one, but also individually, that he makes sure that's important. Yes, sir? Well, the, uh, I was reading the sages this, uh, this week, and um, we get an insight to Moses through the uh, through the phrasing here, ha'azinu, <clears throat> give ear, I mean, in our language would mean listen. But I, I think if you were to put it into a colloquial thing, he's got his hand raised, um, is, uh, is more along the lines of, like, I'm gonna use Ben as my example. Are, are you paying attention? Okay, here we go. So it's like, check this out. And I start talking, right? So he's right here. Nobody heard that. It's like, give ear. But then, Moses says that, he says, give ear to the heavens. But what does he say to the earth as he's calling these two witnesses? Shema. 
listen, take heed. But Shema is something you'd say to somebody further away from you. So, give ear, listen up, and he lays out his stone. So, the humblest man on the planet here is, just by his words, God is making it clear he's closer to the heavens than he is to the earth. Wow. Right? That'll preach. Because that's the way my master is. And he humbled himself to dwell with us. Amen. True. Yes, sir. I was just going to point out, like, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs also mentioned how, and oftentimes in other religions, it's what we believe that makes people come together. And it's like, we, we have to think the same thing, we have to believe the same thing, otherwise, like, go somewhere else. And he was pointing out how Judaism is not like that at all. If anything, it's about what you do, and that's why you fellowship with the people that you're with. But sometimes it's not even that. People might have varying halakha within communities, but it's like who we are is why we we fellowship with one another. And I thought that was that was neat coming from uh, this particular portion. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing you you might remember uh, if you read in Isaiah, God also describes His um, word like rain, um, and saying that it always has impact. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. You, if rain falls, it does something, and um, and uh, in Isaiah he he, he uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but same same idea. He says that um, his word does not return from him void. When he speaks, something happens. We got that actually in the Romans passage we read um, that my wife read for the uh, apostolic reading, um, talking about like uh, if uh, how can they believe they have not heard? You know there is there is some value into hearing it. And, uh, and listening to it. And, it, and it's always going to do whatever God wants it to do. Um, but this particular passage is a really interesting one. Basically, Judaism, um, oh, hang on a second. Judaism sees this passage as being prophetic. It's not just, we can read it, and you can see like the parallels, you can see the story um, laid out in it. But Judaism sees this as being very prophetic and looking towards the future and, uh, and, and seeing... Basically, Israel's history summed up in this one song, and um, of course, the song—if you remember from last portion when we were reading last week—Moses um, is basically telling everyone, "Hey, you guys need to remember this song. Um, don't forget this one." And that's basically because this is this is the history, this is the story of the Jewish people. They have God. God brings them in. God brings them in. They do really well. They fall. God punishes them. God redeems them. And that is the, the, the general story of the Jewish people throughout the ages. And we get that picture very clearly in Ha'azinu. And if you, if you read it, you'll notice that we don't, it, it's, like, it's a global view. Like in a couple of, remember the admonition in, um, the admonition I think is one Leviticus, and then Deuteronomy has the second round of the curses and blessings that we read um, last Shabbat we were together. And in those, the sages say the first one is the, in Leviticus refers to the first temple, the second verse, the second temple. But I, I personally believe Ha'azinu gives a very global perspective on the history of Israel. And the end of Ha'azinu is the end of Jeez. God's plan. Mm-hmm. It is the end when Messiah returns and he restores everything. So if you're looking for the first, one of the very first uh, eschatological passages in Scripture, this is it. This is a really cool passage to kind of start thinking, okay, what's going through God's mind 
when he thinks about the end of the age. You know, we think about, you know, people with, you know, wounds in their head getting healed and, and, and you know, 666 and whatever else. And we've got all those things and all these cataclysmic events. Really, God is focused on his people. Where is his pe- how is God going to restore his people to their land? How is he going to redeem his people? That, that's really God's focus. It should be our focus. Right. I was just going to say, <clears throat> commenting about the whole concept of hearing, it brings a new dimension to faith. You know, and taking it from this kind of this esoteric, metaphysical thing to hearing what God has promised and believing that he will fulfill it. And we have our uh, example as Abraham Avinu, where he was given the promise. He didn't see his fulfillment, but he believed God. And, of course, the Shaul says it was considered to him as righteous. All right. And, of course, he acted on it, which is, right. which is essential. Right. Yes, sir. Well, they, you know, as we read through it this morning, and, and we've seen it, I mean, his, his focus throughout Azinu is the rock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't notice that uh, the Master uses the rock himself, talking about uh, um, the man who builds his house on the sand versus the man who builds his house on not, not a rock, but the rock. Welcome. Everyone, Matthew seven twenty four, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. I think that's cool. Yeah. And then later, of course, Paul picks up on this. And, you know, First Fruits and, and many other commentators rightfully jab fun at Paul as he's describing, as it were, this community of Israel schlepping through the wilderness in the desert, dragging this rock behind them. Because this rock went with them, and you know, it's like, oh, they're 40 years. They went in a circle for a long time. Well, well, not the same rock we saw last week. First Corinthians 10 4, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. The rock was Messiah, 1 Corinthians 10 4. So, um, for, for our our fellow Christian brethren in the, in the visible expression of the church today to express that something new happened at the cross and God has a new people he is to violate what God himself says in Hatazim for those same people to claim that Messiah was revealed to Israel and they rejected him is to violate the words that Paul gave in 1 Corinthians that in fact that same rock that rock Messiah went with them in the wilderness it's the same faith we got a faith that faith of Abraham Avinu is the same faith is the same Messiah it's the same gift all along mm-hmm. and I think Ha'azinu is pointing that out Absolutely, and of course, rocks are very consistent. Um, I see you. And, uh, and he's, he's a rock professional over there. Right, and we've got, um, and of course, with the with this particular passage, I mean, to your point, I hope that you notice as we're reading through this, the one thing that I think should be 
uh, abundantly obvious is God's love for his people in this passage. He pours out some horrific wrath, and he makes it very clear that because of Israel's sin, they were worthy of being just totally wiped out. But not only does he not do that, but he emphasizes that his care for them. He says they guard them like the people of his eye. That's a really big deal. I mean, if you ever, if you ever, um, if you've ever had a dust something or other in your eye, and of course you, you, know, you when you're a little kid, your mom does it. When you're when you're a big kid like me, sometimes your wife helps you with those types of things. Now, let me get that. Let me get the eyelash out of your eye. And I tell you, one of the scariest things in the world is to keep your eye open while someone's putting their finger in your eyes. Like, don't, don't even dare you touch my eye. But, you know, um, and, and that's, that is the kind of protective care that God describes the way that he treats his people. And, um, and if you read the end of this passage, being on the other side, you know, they may look like they're winning. They may look like God uses them to judge his people. It does not end well for those who oppose his people. So it's, um, it, regardless of what way things may appear right now, regardless of whether or not, you know, if, you, if, you, if your cup of tea is, uh, you know, whatever the United Nations says, I, I believe, or whatever the case may be, um, then uh, you may be in for a very rude surprise uh, when things are all finished to find out, that, oh, wait, those people aren't. They haven't been, been dismissed. Or even when you visit this. Right. You'll see that God still cares very much about them. I've got you, and then I've got you, and then I've got you, and you. So we're going we're gonna to bounce around ping pong. Go for it. Okay. The, before the song actually starts in last week's portion, I had wondered, because you mentioned it was prophetic, and of course Moshe says, like, after I die, I, you're going to act corruptly. He's basically prophesying that. And I was wondering this week, like, why did he respond to that, knowing with that knowledge, with the song? Like, mm. you know, Deuteronomy is basically a recounting of the entire Torah anyway, so he's, he's recounting the Ten Commandments and all of these amazing passages of Scripture, but he sort of ends with a song, like this being the final send-off. And the end of it, after the song, it, I think it's so interesting how he specifically mentions that you need to apply these words to your heart, because then I was thinking of David, who like is described as having a heart after God, and he was like the one that wrote the most songs. Huh. Like, there's something about singing that mm -hmm. really penetrates through our exterior mm -hmm. and, and reaches our hearts. And it's cool that it mentions specifically instructing your children in this way too, because children respond so well to song. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can remember songs quicker than they can remember other things. Not and only that, but they remember them longer. Mm -hmm. If yeah. I start singing, a, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, G. Everybody knows it. But when really did you learn that? Surely you didn't learn it when you taught it to your kids, those of you who are married ladies. You learned it as a kid. Right. And you still know it. Yeah. So it's, it's a beautiful thing that Moshe is doing here. And it's something for us as fathers to really learn from this. Like, mm -hmm. wow, his final send-off and the thing that really motivated them and... and uh, inspired them was like a song. Right. Cool. And let's write a song. Um, I don't know if my dad or Mr. Rubin can, can comment. Is this one of the ten songs? Or just not? Is this one of the ones? There are ten songs um, traditionally in Judaism. Is this one of them? Yes. So the, the, in Judaism they see the word sheer, song, as associated and affiliated with, with the prophetic. Like it's a huge deal. This is like, this is like almost like a higher level of scripture which sounds kind of weird but that's almost the way that it's kind of viewed 
And there are there are ten of them, the last one being the Song of Messiah, which actually is not in Scripture, I don't believe, but we, we will we'll, we'll hear it, unless you're reading Revelation, which you might well, find out. Well, on that point, it's the same one. that was one of my comments, was in Revelation, there's a description that the saints will sing the song of Moshe and the song of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people, and I tend to be in this camp, believe the song of Moshe that's referenced is Hazina. Oh, okay. uh, Because it's singing about the ultimate redemption. And the rock. And the rock, you know. And and so... um, and so when we read that passage in Revelation, it's actually making reference to this mm. song we read today. Cool. And, you know, if you have a Tanakh, you know, and if you happen to see when Colby lifted the uh, Torah scroll, it's split, right? Mm-hmm. In the text, uh, what other songs split? Great Sea. Great sea. The, the, other, the first song of Moshe, right? right? The Song of the Sea. Um, and of course the understanding there is it's kind of split in the text as a, an allusion to the fact that he split the sea and they walked across the dry ground so the question is well why is this one split in a similar fashion mm. and I don't know that I know the answer to that but um, perhaps because the first song of Moshe is all about the first redemption the redemption mm-hmm. from Egypt. Mm-hmm. The second song of Moshe is about the final redemption. You know, as we enter, as Messiah returns, and we enter into the Messianic age, as it were. So perhaps, I mean, this is just speculation on my part. Perhaps this also hints that there will be a similar kind of miracle. Maybe not necessarily another physical parting of, you know, of a physical body of water, but a separation, as it were, that occurs mm-hmm. at that time. So, Joshua, can mm-hmm. I jump in and comment on that before you continue there, Sure, I've got Lori after you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with my uh, learned colleague, and I'm going to say that uh, while his may be right, I think our master made it clear that there would be a separation, and it would be the sheep and the sure. goats. Absolutely. And that's done by the rock. Yes. That's mentioned here. I know what do I know? That's what I'm leaning that way. Yeah. So that works. Well, I wonder. I wonder. Uh, <laughs> it says he was broken for our trans- transgressions. The rock was broken. You know, so could. Possible. The thing is, though, with, yes. when it comes to when it comes, let me just uh, jump in on that point because I do think that we we see yeah. redemption in Yeshua as being uh, critical, and it absolutely is. But I think that one mistake sounds almost too harsh a word to use. But one thing that I think that's overemphasized sometimes or underemphasized is the word I'm looking for is the end redemption because Yeshua was not the end of the story. Right. His death and resurrection is like the portal. It is the key to get into the kingdom. But the, the end is the kingdom of God on earth. That is the end of the story. That is the final redemption. So when you look at, even though Yeshua certainly parallels Pesach, he's in, it's supposed to be died then, right? So it's, it parallels the redemption from Egypt. That is only a almost like a, an interlude 
You know, if you've got like the like the bridge between one part and the next part. The the first redemption from Egypt also parallels the final redemption when God brings his people out of all of the, the nations. Of the he yeah. brings them all back to the land. Yes, right. He frees them from yes, their ultimate enemy. Yes, and at sir. that point, God himself reigns on earth. Mm-hmm. So yes, it is, and I think that's the thing. Is it, So there is a, I think going back to your point, it is, I think, the bookend redemptions. That's not, this, that's not to de-emphasize Yeshua's redemption, because it's essential. But it is... Um, it is part of the process, and it's not the final one. And I think that, unfortunately, sometimes in Christianity, we get so caught up in it. And not to say we shouldn't appreciate it, but we, we lose, well, yeah, I guess that's part of it, but we lose sight of the rest of what's going on. So I've got to go to Lori, because she's been very patient. <laughs> Two things. Um, the song you mentioned is, like, there are elevated in Judaism, and if you read Hebrew, you notice, like, I get frustrated when I get the song, like, okay, I want to understand anything here, because the language is so different. Yeah. Poetic. This is one of the hardest. Even the sages, I think, talk about how hard the Hebrew is here. Yeah, I mean, you can, I can, you get used to following along the same kind of languages used on the Torah, especially, and then you get a song that's completely like new vocabulary, grammar is different. Um, So I don't know what that says, but it's just interesting. Secondly, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the wording in English or Hebrew. I don't remember, but um, the. As far as the modern application of the rock, somewhat modern. When Israel was founded as the country, um, it was there was you know a huge diverse, hugely diverse population, right? There were some. Um, oh. Most of them were Holocaust survivors. You were talking afterwards. The modern state of Israel. Good point. Yes. Good point. Yes. The modern state of Israel in 1948. Um, made up of most of Holocaust survivors and um, there were some that were devout Jews you know but there were a lot that were atheists communists right. which there still are today um, and so they're developing a constitution and the religious Jews said we have to have something about God in here I mean this is like he, he, this is our land this is our country like he's our father like he gave us this like the whole covenant like there's a lot that to say with a lot of reasons why God should be in our constitution. The secular atheists want nothing to do with it. Mm. They said, we don't need God in our constitution. There's no God. We're not going to not a religious state. It's a secular state. So there was a compromise made by calling, like, Israel is founded on the rock of Israel. Mm. <laughs> so that pleased the religious Jews because they know that rock obviously refers to Hashem. And we know even deeper level first Messiah, revelation of Hashem in that way. And the seculars interpreted rock however they want to interpret rock. So. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. So the rock was the compromise. Yep. That's me. And that's a great transition to go to the rock who's in the corner <laughs> here. The rock! I just said that. I guess I'm going further into the, the portion. But uh, something that struck me that when reading this uh, this week um, uh, was um, in, in verse uh, 40. Uh, God does something that I'm not sure he's ever done before when talking about the, um, the judgment of the nations and conversely the redemption of the people he says um, I should raise my hands to heaven and say as I live forever and I don't know re- reading the Torah anyway that I've ever seen where God himself like swears by himself and says as I you know, do this or as I live forever I will do this it just 
struck me as interesting. It's definitely rare. I think it's maybe it's in one of the covenant with Abraham. Does he bring that up then? I don't remember. Possibly, but the point is, you're right. It's a very, it's a strong yeah. vow yeah. that he's making because it's God obviously never would break a promise, but it's like you're making an oath by something that is immutable. I mean, you, right. there's no way he'll ever die. It's it's like you know, it's more it's more valid binding than to say as long as the sky is blue. Right, because God created those things, but you know, those are good. But He existed before that. Right. Well, and and finish the rest of the verse. What does it say? It, it, it says, um, "If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand grasps judgment, I shall return vengeance upon my enemies, and upon those that hate me shall I grant retribution." Amen. Which again harkens back to Revelation 14. chapter uh, nineteen, mm-hmm. where it says, "Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he shall strike." The nation. Which is the verse right after that says, My sword shall devour flesh, which kind of has a, a mouth sounding to it. Right. So, again, you see a lot of imagery in Hazina in the song that we that then repeats in certain of the prophets and then in the Apostolic writings, particularly in Revelation. I mean, you have references to, um, you know, to um, the, you know, to, to teeth of beast and and vipers and you know all of these plague type things which the imagery there gets pretty close to a lot of the same type of imagery that we see you know in the judgments that are poured out you know in um, in the book of Revelation so there's a lot of yeah I mean there's this is clearly you know I think the sages are right it's clearly prophetic you know text and it gives context for those judgments being poured out because as many in the church incorrectly feel like the great tribulation and the judgments being poured out are upon the people of Israel and Hazinu tells us that is completely and exactly opposite the judgments are being poured out on those who have persecuted Israel it couldn't be more wrong <laughs> perfectly reversed 180 degrees up it's interesting well, to just, just to tag on to oh Greg go just to add to that point um, I mean the song does describe the judgment of Israel first right because judgment, judgment begins, begins right. in the house of God right. so he has to judge his own people first for their sin right but he always he, he will always redeem them because that he's made he's made sworn a sworn by himself he's sworn by himself he has to right and then it goes on to describe the judgments of the nations who have persecuted his people mm-hmm. so um, it's a way scarier judgment okay. you want to be on the first one it's not pleasant but you want to be in the first judgment if you're in the second judgment that's bad. Yes, sir. Just and I'm, I'm going to. I don't remember Rebecca had her hand up and Ryan as well, so we're going to move around here. And then you're after all the. Just to Mr. Oh, Brown's point, the um, O nations sing the praise in verse 43. Uh, it's like it can't be the nations either because the it says O nations sing the praises of His people, which mm-hmm. is Israel. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and then describes them as His servants as well. So it's just that I think that's really cool that it's like even. 
he's even speaking back to the nations that now the judgment is on them. Like you said, the second judgment on the nations. And it's like, now sing praises of my people. Right. Because they're the ones that are flourishing now. Peace is land and his people. Absolutely. And Rebecca? Um, just going backwards to Greg's point, it actually takes different parts of your brain to sing and speak. So if I told all of you to recite the alphabet in your brain, how many of you just started singing? Okay. So it's interesting that nice. there's so much focus on the song. Your brain works too. Very cool. Yeah. Well, and that's cool that Hebrew is always sung. Like, I love how we yeah. started adding songs to our prayers. It's just, it's all better. And it's cool to get those stuck in your head, because, boy, just, I'm driving to work one day, and all of a sudden I've got the Shimoni Esrae just popping right on out, and it's like, all right, that's a good one. Then you got to stand up. It's a whole lot better than having, you know, <laughs> it's like the hokey pokey. Right, but it's better than having the hokey pokey or call me maybe or whatever stuck in your head. So. Well, call me maybe. <laughs> <laughs> pretty messy <yet. laughs> Ryan, Pete, and then my father-in-law. I don't I was just going to say, uh, going back to that, uh, to what Greg was saying about how judgment will come upon Israel and then the nations, and then how it says in here that God will redeem them. Thinking back to what's said in the prophets, um, especially in Isaiah, where he talks about the Assyrian as being the rod of his anger that he will use to chasten his people, and then he'll just cast them aside as some profane thing. Mm. And that, of course, would lead to the redemption of the world. So it's really interesting to see how that fits about the Assyrian, the anti-Messiah, into this portion. Well, it is funny, like the, um, we've been mentioned before, if you've ever been to Israel, you've probably seen it. I think somebody here may even own it. The t-shirt in uh, in Jerusalem, it's got like the enemies of Israel on one side, and then... Judah has it. What, oh, yeah. what Joseph yeah. has it. What's, what's happened to them on the other side? Earlier. And it's like Babylon, gone. Greece, gone. I mean, he goes through all these different groups, gone, and it's incredible. Gone. And the, the very last one is Iran with, like, question marks at the end. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, Israel continues. I mean, you think about it. Like, it's not just that Israel survives. I mean, the Mayans aren't here with us anymore. And great calendar, by the way. Yeah, they do have a great. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, I guess it's over now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the um, the Mayans aren't with us anymore as a group, oh, the people group. Um, but but they didn't have to survive the Holocaust. I mean, they had their own horrors, obviously, with the, uh, the invasions and whatever else. But you think about the things that Israel has been through. Not just the exile. I mean, that would be bad enough. Not just the persecution. That would be bad enough. But it's like. Every single generation they have been hunted and killed and slaughtered and driven out and told to leave and every single possible way forced conversion and they've people time and time and time again have tried to strip the culture, the language, the heritage, the Bible from them and yet they're still here and that is a testimony to God because mm -hmm. there's no other way that would be possible. Um, it, it's it's it is, I think, personally, the most overwhelming evidence to the existence of God is the continued existence of Israel. So um, let me try to remember who I had next. I think I had Pete next. Pete, come on. All right, you're next. And I see... live forever. Actually, only appears three times in the Bible. If you remove the Appalachians, oh, king, live forever, right? You know, where they're trying to suck up. Um, <laughs> if you remove all those three times, 
first, God is describing, oh my goodness. Behold, a man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Second time is what we're reading today in Ha'azinu, where God lifts up his hand to heaven and swears, as I, Kayeolan, live forever. The only other time it's used is by the rock. The rock himself says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And that happened when? Originally with the man. If anyone eats of this bread, he will he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will kaya Good call, Brock. Good point. So, your ex. Uh, so we have a verse, uh, verse 20, and he will say, I shall hide my face from them, them being Israel, and see what their end will be, for they are a generation of reversals, children whose upbringing is not in them. Because um, I'll say that the statement, I, I shall hide my face, Kazal is Kakameno Zikonam Lebraka. Our sages of blessed memory. Those guys. They say that this statement, I shall hide my face, is an allusion to um, to the exile and the dark, and you know, kind of exile and darkness that would come over Israel. Hmm. What's interesting to me about this is the statement is made right after the 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 section where it says you were. You were contemptuous of the rock of your salvation. Um, you ignored the rock, okay? Um, and so you provoked me to anger, and so therefore I'm going to hide my face from you, you essentially, you wicked generation, right? I'm kind of paraphrasing. Gee, it, that seems really, really familiar to something that Messiah Yeshua said. To his generation, you, per, you perverse and wicked generation, and then he is concealed and has been concealed. You will not see me again until. And so, he, Messiah has been concealed from his people while they have been in exile. That is still happening to this very day, and I believe it's it's all it's prophesied here. Uh, my other my other comment is um, verse thirty nine. See now that I I am He and no God is with me. I put to death. I bring to life. I struck down and I will heal. And there is no rescuer from my hand. The phrase I put to death and I bring to life. Hazal pick up on this phrase and this actually was one of the. Point, one of the places in the Torah, there's others, where they argue for the doctrine or belief in the resurrection. Because they say, it says, I put to death and I and I bring to life. Right. Meaning if it had said I I I you know I bring life and I put to death, well okay, yeah. That's what we naturally observe. But here he intentionally 
changes the order. Mm-hmm. I put to death and that I bring to life. And therefore, that is why we know there will be a resurrection right. at the end of days. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned that one. Um, that's one of my favorite parts of this whole, this whole chapter. Uh, particularly because I remember when I was in college, one of the one of the critiques, even in a religion class in college, it's usually an anti-religion class. One of the critiques um, was saying that you know this whole afterlife thing basically emerges in like the books of Isaiah and Ezekiel, and like Judaism doesn't have it until they happen to meet other religions who've already come up with it. I always thought that was funny. It's like we don't know where they got it, but you know the Jews they had to learn it from somebody else because the Bible has to be wrong. Um, but the, the but I remember reading this particular passage because we were reading the Torah portions when I was in college, and it's like aha no 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 no, no. it's there. But you're right. The key is the nuance. And that's the thing is God, like you mentioned, God hiding. God is hiding all the time. And the reason he's hiding is not because he doesn't want people to find him. The reason he hides is so that he would provoke people to look for him. If he's evident, there's no need to look. But he hides so that people would search him out. And that's exactly what the sages have done with passages like this. You look, you're reading it. And you go, wait a minute, that's in reverse. What is it teaching us? And that's the same idea. Like, we want to be doing that with the scriptures all the time. You're like, you're digging in. You're looking for the parts that don't make sense, the weird parts. Ironically enough, that's usually what people are most afraid of, is the parts I don't understand. Because it's like, well, maybe maybe the Bible's not true. Or why does it say there are this many women at the tomb and not that many women at the tomb? Or whatever the case may be. And it's like, actually, those are the coolest parts of scripture. Because if it doesn't make sense, that means there's probably something really neat there. So, um... I appreciate you bringing that one up. And I think Barack was next? No. I already had him. Peter. Just another, this is not to do with unfortunate, but since you brought up proof for the resurrection of the dead, there, what, the other one that's really cool is in the Shema, second paragraph of the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 11, like the last verse is where it says, um, the land which I had sworn to your ancestors to give them, like the days of the heaven and the earth, you know? Mm. And that Rashi picks up on that as a proof for the resurrection of the dead because it doesn't say um, the land I'm going to give your ancestors' children. It's the land I'm going to give you. Mm-hmm. It says the land that I'm going to give your ancestors. And the, they didn't inherit it yet because they're all dead. Ah, so they will inherit it. That's cool. And they get resurrected. Very cool. I like that one. Um, I think I have Lori next. I um, Johnny and then Gloria. I, I really like the phrase that... Um, Rob um, mentioned earlier the um, way Hashem hides his face from his people. This is this is a phrase that's used for replete throughout the Psalms, and as an mm-hmm. expression of David and his relationship with Hashem, it's like you know I'm David is one of the most in tune with God, righteous men throughout all of Scripture, and it's like and he's you can hear him crying out don't remove your face from me mm-hmm. don't turn it away from me I have to be in that presence of that of, of that face that panim as it were and, and it's just um, mm. it, it's a really big deal it, mm. you know it's a, it's, a, it's a common idiom but it's it's a really big deal and we don't want to treat it too lightly absolutely and true Gloria I just wanted to correct something I said earlier he wasn't bribing for a transgression. He was Peter's brother. Mm-hmm. So forgive me for misquoting that. <laughs> totally fine. Thank you for your honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg. Well, just on that point about God being hidden, I, 
I was wondering why, you know, it says in the beginning, like, um, rain and dew, like, kind of juxtaposes the two, and then in our Haftarah, it says, I will be to Israel like the dew. And I thought that's so interesting because, you know, in the passage earlier in Hosea, when all that happens with the person he's supposed to marry, the, the idea that comes from that is that all along, it was him that was sustaining the wayward wife. And it says, like, I will be like, uh, I will be to Israel like the dew, and he will blossom like a rose bush. And it's so cool that I think that's the concept of the dew is that dew is pretty much invisible. It's not like rain where you can tell when it's falling, and, and it, when it falls, it's a big deal, mm-hmm. and it falls everywhere. I mean, dew is just kind of, it's almost invisible. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's still moisture that's supporting the plants that it's on. And mm-hmm. I, you see that with Hashem always supporting his people, even when it doesn't look like it, or even when it looks like he's hidden. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. always there, orchestrating never, everything. Absolutely. He never stops. And, and so uh, our pray, prayers change to reflect the rain. Yeah. It's true. And I think that... Um, um, oh, I see. Hang on just a second. Um, if, you, if you've gotten into any of the... Um, some of the Jewish mystical side of things, uh, one of the things that they, they talk about is that um, because of sin, in a sense... Um, God is hidden in this world. And the, the difficult, tragic things of this world obscure God, which is true. I mean, that's usually what, what the liberals, or the, the liberals, let's get that, um, the atheists typically argue, is I, how, how can God be there? How could, how could God let you know, this disaster happen? How could there be a God if you know, this tragedy occurs? And, and it's, in a sense, in this world, there are things that do obscure God. And that is, I think, our job is to really seek out to try to uncover Hashem is there. Because he's always there. One of the coolest past, uh, uh, illustrations I heard from a rabbi one time about miracles um, is uh, reading the, uh, the book, um, the six, uh, six Consummates Vote. And he's talking about faith. And the, and the rabbi is like, uh, they, they, they're out of oil for Havdalah. And so, or Abdallah, I think it's Abdallah. Anyway, one of the lighting things. And he puts, he, say, he takes a match and sets vinegar on fire. And his daughter goes, wait, how did you do that? Vinegar doesn't burn. And he looks at her and he goes, if God can make oil burn, why can't God make vinegar burn? And just thinking about the everything, all, every single day is a miracle. There's always God is always doing something all the time. All of existence is not science. It's not. Um, it's not even uh, you know anything you can like understand or wrap your mind around in the sense that it's like it's got laws of its own. It is all created and sustained by God. It is all an expression of whatever is going through His mind. That is all that the universe can be. And when we read this morning. Um, when you read the, the uh, in the um, in the blessings before the Shema, it talks about the idea of like light and darkness. You know, I think it also shows up um, in one of the portions we read today um, that there's light and darkness, and that God creates both. It, God, this passage here is talking about life and death, like you were saying. And the sages go, "Look, this is not God. Does not not the God of life and the God of death. And we have the Grim Reaper, and then we also have you know the Stork or whatever. It's like there is only one God." He does everything. And if you read in the prophets, he even goes so far as to say that even what appears to be evil comes from God. And I don't mean that, I mean, you know, interpret that carefully. But the point being that 
God is not in a cosmic battle with a with a with a formidable foe that we're not really sure who's going to win this one. Yeah. God already won. Everything that happens God is God's. God never even battled. Right. God is playing chess with himself. The entire existence is God's plan. And I think that is really, it should be very encouraging and exciting. And because of that, we should be searching. We should be looking. Where is God here? And the darker things are, is another opportunity to say, where is God here? I know he's here. And it's up to us to really look for him. So I think you were next. Um, what I see in it also is that um, our transgression hurt him. <coughs> you know, they hurt him. Uh, there is, um, I can't remember if it's Isaiah or Jeremiah where he says, you know, what, in, what iniquity have you found in me? Mm. You know, and I thought that was very powerful because he was looking at the sin of the people and he said, what, have it, what iniquity have you found in me that you do this? Mm-hmm. You know? And then he said, when that time comes, that time of redemption comes, I will speak gently and comfortably mm-hmm. unto her, mm-hmm. right? Unto the nation, right? And we see that in the way that Messiah spoke as mm-hmm. well when he came, because he was gentle. And then he went to the sick. You know, he went to those who were, who were, who were in sin. You know, he brought those back into the fold who were being cast out at the time by the majority and, and shunned at the time. And he said, I came to set the captives free, you know. And, um, you, know, you know, hiding your face is, uh, you know, similar like when, you're, when your dad's angry with you, you know, when your dad's not, not feeling you, you know, you kind of just, you can tell when he's, not, when he's upset with you. And now you want to seek his yeah. favor. You want to get back in his good graces, you know. And, and you know, uh, as a child who loves a father, I'm not talking about one who gets punished and, and, and despises punishment and despises correction, but uh, as, you, as you want to get back in his graces and you realize that, you know, that hiding on the face or that punishment was for your correction, was for your own good, uh, then you seek forgiveness and you seek to be better than you were mm-hmm. and that is uh, that's the essence of uh, prayer and uh, everything else mm-hmm. you know? absolutely yeah. ladies and gentlemen the dread of Isaac I see you I think Greg is next or Lori Lori's next ladies first ladies first come back and I'm gonna not do this justice. You really should get Lakuti Maharani and read it yourself. It's um, a that? book. It's like an abridged. It's all like Remy. It's Nachman. cool. There's this guy named Remy Nachman, mm-hmm. and he has some really cool like insights and like practical living stuff, and really, really deep, meaningful things too. They're really simple. Um, but it's this book's like an abridged, like a version of like his stuff. So. He has a little chapter in there, um, a little section about like talking about like there's a, there's a zodiac in every generation, right? Men in every generation, you know, and then he's all this and stuff about there. But there's one that's called a true zodiac, and this true zodiac is you have to search for him, search diligently for him, and Peter can jump in. He's actually one about it, and I'm trying to remember what he told me, but um, something about like this true zodiac is like 
the agent of creation. He is the root who supports all other tzaddikim. He is like the sustainer of Israel. And it's like all this. And it just. Anything else from it? Foundation of the world. What? Foundation of the world. Foundation of the world. Yeah. And so we're seeing like all this stuff that's directly applied to Yeshua. Mm-hmm. And it's so cool because mm-hmm. it's like. He doesn't even name, like, well, I know who he is. He's in my generation. He's like, you have to search him. You have to search for his buddy. You have to search for the true buddy. And it's really cool because, like, speaking about hidden, you know, like, Hashem hides himself in Yeshua. Like, when he does miracles and things, he's like, don't tell anybody, you know? Because there's almost like a modesty there. There's a mystery there, too. Mystery there, too, yeah. So, and also, too, like, speaking of hidden, like, Me, uh, never mind. Well, I, uh, never. Never. <laughs> <laughs> Good points. I hear that one. Very good. Well, one, of the, one of the neatest things that I've heard about the small miracles every day that you had mentioned before mm-hmm. was G.K. Chesterton had pointed out, and I think it was in his book Orthodoxy, that, is that it? It's the one, you know, the part where he, so he's talking about how a child sees occurrences as like happening each time instead of just assuming that they happening that they're mm. gonna happen and his whole point about like the uh, the sun rising and setting like mm. how we should see that like a child would see that yeah. and he was saying it's very much like a child that gets picked up and thrown into the air by his dad and they say like do it again daddy do it again and he was saying like as as God's people like if we could have that childlike innocence and each time we see the sun rise like right. we say to Hashem like do it again, do it again. It, it would create in us like a sense of awe at even the tiny little things instead of just the big miracles or the times that like huge things happen in our life. But like even just waking up every day and even just having like small little things happen to you, you would see them as huge things when you actually, yeah, exactly. But when you actually go backwards and think more like a child instead of yeah. assuming that it's going to happen. That's really good. good I was point. with my grandson this last week, and I brought him a little push-up sucker, you know, the thing you have to mm-hmm. push it up, and it occurred to me he didn't know how to do it, so I was I was bending down, and I was I was writing his eyes, you know, and I was pushing it up, and he went, and it was like, oh my goodness, it just sent chills down me. It, the, the awe of a child has never seen something done before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we should really so much be like that. And yeah. I think we are so in such a rush and s- just we don't take time to see mm-hmm. the ants. A friend was sharing me with, with, with me about an ant that had carried this huge mm-hmm. piece of toast <laughs> up from here to like the end of this thing. She followed it. I thought that was incredible that she went and followed it and watched where it went, you know, and it, and it got to its destination and it backed up, you know, to get into the hole to take it into the nest, you know, and it's like, but such determination, that was her thing. He kept having, or it kept having to go over these obstacles, and, and we should take time. He says consider the answer. Right. He does. I think I've got my mom and the Gordons and my father-in-law. So gonna, we're going to make the rounds here. Well, we briefly just brought up Acts 17 at lunch, some of the ladies we were talking. And I think it kind of encapsulates what we're talking about. As Paul is in Athens, 
and he says, God, who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. Then it goes on, he's not worshipped by man like he needs anything. But then he goes to say that he's made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and to determine their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, but he's not far from each one of us. And then he goes on to talk about how he is appointed a day in which he will judge the earth in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. What was that last part? It says, um, he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. Mr. Gordon. Uh, something that I've been working on lately is uh, telling off what you said about seeing God in everything. I think Colby and I was talking about that a little bit. When Joseph commented on uh, the mower who was mowing when we were praying at the lake and then guy next door, I wanted to say, what makes you think that that's not happened to see how you're going to react? <laughs> you know, and I'm seeing how trying to see God in everything, something negative happens in my life. Mm. I'm just, I'm trying yeah. to pass it. I'm yeah. trying to pass that test to make sure I react the right way. Mm. Otherwise, I'll do it again. Like it. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll do it again. Yeah. Mm. Good. Just right. seeing God in everything. Wow. Yeah. Even the negative things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially, Especially the negative things. Um, Mrs. Gordon. I, I just want to say, you know, he's he is so incredible, and he says his mercies are new every morning, and he wants us to look for the fresh and new light. He tells us it's new. I'm doing new things, and mm-hmm. we can see him new, freshly, anytime. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yes, sir. I just really So that's how that feels. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words which I'm warning you today, mm. that you may command them to your children, that they may carefully do all the yes. words of this Torah. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. I believe that with all my heart. And if there's anything that I would desire earnestly to be able to communicate effectively to my friends in the visible expression of the church today, it's that. It's not too hard. Nor is it done away with. Nor has it been fulfilled by someone else so I don't have to. If my sin separated me from God to the point where it caused God to send his only son to die because of my sin 
God forbid that after I understand that revelation, I should continue in sin. Mm. And what is sin? That we would violate his Torah. To me, the essence of our walk of faith is encapsulated in Deuteronomy 32, 44-47. That's my faith. Mm. That our, our forefathers were taught and commanded that they should teach their children and their children's children and so on. That this is not too hard for you. It's not too far from you. And this is your very life. Mm. To me, it is the essence and the burden and the burr under my saddle when I'm talking to somebody who's still in that visible expression. And I wish that God would grant just another degree of communicative grace that I might be able to express it a little less New York. <laughs> <laughs> right. Some people really respond well to that. Yeah, some people do, and a lot of them are sitting here. Mr. Oh, look at Jeff. No, sure. You know how many times he, you, is, this gentleman here has stolen his last slide in a Zadi class? And, you know, it's everything. This, this is the true justice in the world. Johnny, you're up. I just wanted to tag on to the end of what Mr. Gordon said. Um, According to some sages, that there's the belief that as a tzaddikim is increasing in his righteousness, there are actual levels through which he'll proceed in, in his uh, spiritual heightening, as it were. Mm-hmm. So the idea, so one of the great questions is you know, that we get really want to be answered from people in the church about is why do bad things happen to righteous people? Well, the idea being that as we heighten in this one level, God then will test us because you reach the height of this previous level and you're, you're sort of promoted, as it were. And now that you're in the very bottom rung of this next higher spiritual level, you're still high, but you're in the lower part of this next spiritual level. The idea is, okay, do you merit this? Did you, did you earn this? It, was it right? Was, did I give it to you too early? Mm-hmm. And, and to me, it, it, that's just that's just mind-boggling because that that makes so much more sense mm-hmm. in terms of why do if if we believe that all that God does all things for our good and that and His glory and His glory absolutely then it would only serve to strengthen our faith mm-hmm. that rather than take the selfish approach of God, why did you do this to me? And, you know, just, and, and see it as a source of complaint. But take the window to the sale. Exactly. Instead of seeing it as a source of complaint and making it about ourselves, why not make it about what God wants? Mm-hmm. And, and, then, and, then he, and then he's his glory is magnified even greater. Mm-hmm. That's very true. What is the end of that verse? God creates uh, the, all things according to our good for those who call them according to his purpose. And the following verses, um, that they be conformed to the image of his son. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's mm-hmm. not, and I think, I think sometimes it's interpreted as though, well, everything had, works out in the end, 
That's not the promise. In fact, there's a very good chance, and I don't. I know some people say we'll never understand on this side of heaven. I don't have a promise I will ever understand some of this stuff. When I get to heaven, I might still not quite totally understand what's going on. But that doesn't matter, because it's about being conformed to the image of his son. But I act like God does. And that's a high step. Like, that's right, right. That is the goal. If I may just lift you up for just a moment. The reason why this guy's sitting in that stool and has this job is because he knew the rest of the verse that he began to quote. We should all be able to do what he just did. To hear and to know the word of God. Well done. Impressive. Um, we're getting towards the end here, so do you have a comment? Yeah, just a uh, quick one. Um, like lately I've been uh, reading uh, Shalom Arush. Mm. Love that guy! Uh, man, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, recently, other than the Garden of Peace, also seeing that, uh, like, um, off of uh, Mr. Gordon and off of Johnny, uh, you know, how we see complaints, not just outside complaints and things like that that come at us, obstacles that come in our life, uh, view it as, uh, as Adonai speaking to us, you know. Sometimes it's not things that we want to hear, or uh, it, comes, it, it comes in a different fashion than we're used to seeing and um, and I, I guess my prayer is to be able to apply the words of Torah, live out the words of Torah, so that life, you know, is like he said, being conformed. Like Paul said, Yeshua is our example, is our head, is men, and being able to live that as a message to those who we love, you know, who are still as uh, Joseph said, you know, in the visible expression of the church. You know, when they see you living it, you know, it's not about a debate or, a, 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 you know, an argument or anything like that. It's like, wow, you know, what's changed about him? You know, he used to be this guy. He used to kind of snap. Now he's, you know, what, what is this peace that he's found? You know? And it's all to the glory of Adonai. It's all to the glory of Yeshua. Absolutely, and I think that um, uh, one thing we talked about, I see you, well, I'll close out with you. Um, but first, I just say that I, I think that when we, we talked earlier about God concealing himself and he hides his face, and um, generally speaking, it's through circumstances a lot of the time. We, we, bad things happen. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I think that you guys, last week we weren't, or last time we weren't here, because we went through a very personal tragedy um, with a miscarriage. And in that, I told, I told some of you here this story, that on the Friday night when it happened, I, it was a darkness that I really can't put into words, a confusion um, and a complete lack of understanding, uh, and really just a lot of questions. I mean, there's no answer, and, and you can't see God at all. I mean, you know he's there, but you can't see him. And I think it was in, it was in that moment that the only image of who of the goodness of God that I could see clearly that was easy to see was his people and um, just to lift up uh, Lori and Taylor we were supposed to be at their house that night and they brought us they brought the dinner they had prepared for us before we were going to their place Taylor drove it over he dropped it off he didn't even step across the threshold he just handed me the meal said he was sorry Shabbat Shalom and left 
which I really appreciate that. Judaism is so right, sometimes you just don't want to talk. And, um, and I told Juliana, I said, I, that was it. There was nothing else in life in that moment that made any sense at all. But one of the few things that I absolutely 100% knew is that I had good friends. And in that moment, that's one of the only pictures of the goodness of God that you can see. We know it's true. And I'm not trying to say that, that in those moments we should question God. But, but in, in those hard and tragic times, we know that God is true, but we can't see him. And so going to your point, we have an awesome responsibility as the people of God because we are the only lights a lot of times in a dark world. It's that people around us can only see God in you. And if you're not showing him, then all they see is darkness. But if you are being his light, if you are acting like he does, then you are the revelation of God in a, in a broken and sad world. And it is, it is hopefully the hope and prayer that they would see God and then, like we were talking all this whole morning, they would then seek him and find him themselves. So, anyway. Yes, sir, let's close out with you. Just to kind of tag on to that, I'm reminded of famous portion in Genesis where um, Yaakov's name is changed from Yaakov to Israel, right? It was changed as a result of wrestling with the angel, uh, you know, the the, the Melech, uh, you know, Adonai, right? That the the angel or messenger of Malach, or however you want to understand that, right? Malach, thank you. Um, so, but the outward evidence of that was Jacob walked with a limp from that point forward. In other words, people could see something was outwardly different with him, meaning the way he carried himself, the way he walked, was forevermore different. And, you know, as we um, draw close to Hashem and as we um, take on the yoke of the Torah, which is a Torah to live by, then we are... are our walk should be noticeably different to those around us, and that becomes the message. Right? Why? Why do you do that? Why don't? Why don't you do that? You know? And that's the opportunity that we have to share and to encourage people to bring a meal. You know, uh, to be there, uh, to not judge, to you know, just to be there. That's the real opportunity that we that we have as we walk out um, this Torah to live by. Absolutely. Amen. Just close up the prayer, sir. I thank you so much for the people gathered here, your people, in this community. Father, I thank you for the various differences in our walk and the various ideologies and supplications and all the various hoo-ha that goes on. Because you join us together in one purpose. To come together regardless of our halakha to worship and to praise you and to pray to you. And I am grateful for each one here. And for the flavor 
of the Bellator community. Father, in these high holy days, I pray that you would find us faithful to turn to you wholeheartedly to dedicate this year ahead to you and to your service and to see what you would have done in our lives as we grow in our faith. Father, the world is in the midst of upheaval like I've never seen in the past 50 plus years. And it, quite frankly, it looks like all hell is breaking loose. Father, I pray that you would find us faithful to your word. Emissaries and ambassadors of the truth that Yeshua is the Messiah. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And Father, as we search the scriptures and find in the book of Hebrews of men and women before us who are not worthy of this world, who were disparaged in ways that are hard to believe, as many of those are coming to pass even in our own day, beheaded for their faith. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen our hearts, commit us to the resolve of standing firm and proclaiming the truth of Messiah Yeshua. In these days, as we prepare for the judgment that is to come, uh, I hope just a dress rehearsal. I pray, Father, you would again find us faithful, and that we would come together and praise the Holy One of Israel, the Almighty, the Creator, and the Judge of all the earth. 